This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Okay, let's open up with prayer tonight, and we're going to get right into the Word. Amen. Father, we come before you this evening, and we thank you, Lord, for your Word. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the Word. We thank you, Father God, that if we snuggle up close with your Word, that we're snuggling up close with Jesus. Father, we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your direction. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for everything that you show us through through your word, how to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the title of tonight's message is called Seasons. And so here we are starting another, you know, new year, 2020. We're in the new year. And it's a new season. And I just want us to look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. I'm in the New King James. We're going to read from 1 to uh, verse 8, Ecclesiastes 3. And this is, you know, they made songs and everything else out of this. It was funny because I was Googling this today, and it didn't go to the Bible. It went to the song, and who sang the song? (laughs) I thought, man, gee, that was weird. Anyway, okay. Everything has its time. To everything, there is a season. Say everything. There's a season. A season means a time, right? A time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted or to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And you know, when you think about life, wow. There are seasons of life. You know, you can be in a different season. Uh, maybe you're uh, in the infant season. I don't think we have any infants in here tonight. But maybe you're an infant. Maybe you're a child. There are any children? Well, we have one child in here tonight. Maybe you're, the season of your life is that you're a child. Maybe the season of your life is that you're a teen or, or, or going into young adult age. Uh, maybe the season of life is that you're middle age. Or that you're getting older. Or that you're even retired. Or that you're refired. That's me. I'm refired. I'm, I'm never retiring. You know, that doesn't, that, that word never even enters my thought life. I never quit. You just refire and you keep on going, right? So that's what I'm going to be doing. So in each season of their life, of our life, there are things that we do. So if you're a teen or young adult, a lot of times you're, you're a student. Uh, maybe you've entered the workforce. Um, you know, maybe it's the time that uh, you get married, you start having a family. There's different seasons of life. So within that season, within that particular season, let me just ask a question. How many of you are retired, refired age? 
Retired refire date. You're not. Knock it off, kid. <laughs> Raise your hand real loud. Okay, you want to be retired. No way. Okay. How many of you are young adults workforce age? Any teens? I've got a couple teens in here. Child in the back. No infants. Okay, but within the season that we find ourselves in, there are different things that go on. Now, some of the things are good and some of the things are bad. How many of you can say that in your uh, the season that you're in, I don't know how long you've been in your season, maybe it's been 20, 30 years you've been in this season, maybe even 40. How many of you have experienced good things in your life, really good things, but sometimes you've also experienced challenges that are almost overcoming. And if it were, if it were not for the Lord in your life, Right? Amen. You know what I love about God? You know, no matter what life has, we just bring it before Him. And He has all the answers in the Word. And if we just go there and find out what He has to say about it and don't waver from what He tells us to do in the Word, we're coming out smelling like a rose. I mean to tell you what. I was talking to my daughter, Annie, today. Um, She had a lease at a house in 29 Palms, and she needed to get out of that lease. Well, you know, that can be sometimes hard to do. They can make you pay. They can, you know, blah, 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 blah. But she took it to the Lord in prayer and in faith. You know, we agreed with her. You know, you're going to have favor. You're going to get out of this lease. And she came home from work today. She says, well, I got out of the lease you know, they're not going to charge me anything, none, none of the above. And I said, Annie, that's a faith. That's faith. You just passed a faith test. You know, sometimes some of the uh, challenges that we face maybe are health issues or loss of a job. You know, especially if you're the breadmaker of the family, you lose a job. Boy, when you've got kids in the house, you can, I mean, that can just shatter you, you know, sometimes. But. Who do we turn to? If you're smart, you turn to the job giver. You turn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has tons of jobs. And through him and with him, you have favor. So you get other jobs. I mean, like we say, our financial faith confessions, jobs, better jobs, promotions, raises, bonuses, you know. And then you end up with people like Joshua that gets an 80% pay increase. Good Lord. I mean, good, yeah, good Lord, that came from God, you know. Who gets an 80% pay increase? I mean, think about it. Gosh. You know, maybe somebody gets 50 cents a dollar an hour raise, $3 an hour, 80% increase. I dare say that was God. I dare say that was God. Let's look at um, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm in the New King James the whole night, so just so you know, for Heather's benefit. (laughs) You know you've matured in the Lord when you can do what verse 2 says. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or various temptations. 
Have you gotten to the point in your walk yet when something gets slammed your way and all of a sudden you're counting it joy? Have you matured to that level yet? Oh, yeah. See, you'll get to there. You'll say, hallelujah. This is just another opportunity for God to show himself strong on my behalf. Right? And then you just sit back and you watch him work it out. Amen. Hallelujah. You with little baby Eli, you know. You're more than a conqueror. That little man's running around here just healthy as can be. You know, you, you know, in the, in the season of life that you're in, you know, with the rearing of the children and blah, blah, blah. Devil tried to take your son out, but you know, he's a loser. You're a winner. He's healthy. He's alive. Amen. You ever, you overcame. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it may not have been fun going through it because, you know, if it's you, it's one thing. If it's your children, it's something else. But when you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you know Jesus Christ is your healer, when you know Jesus Christ is your provider, when you know Jesus Christ is your deliverer, you got it made. We're a family church. What do we do here? We equip God's people for what? Victorious Christian living. We don't have any losers in here, right? Because we teach each other how to overcome. So anyway, we're counting it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. Now, some people hate that word patience. They, oh, that's a, I hate that word patience. But patience just means that you're resting in the Lord. You're knowing who he is. You're trusting that he'll do what he says he'll do. And you're just resting in him. So therefore, you're patient. And people look at you and think, what's the matter with you? Don't you have enough sense to worry? Aren't you concerned? Where's your next meal coming from? Don't you care? Yeah, I, you know, I cast the care upon the Lord. He cares for me affectionately, cares for me watchfully. So why should I take care? Why should I worry? Amen. Four. But let patience have its perfect work. Why? That you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. While you're going through all this stuff, if any of you lacks wisdom, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? And you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom on what I'm supposed to do. And then you never, ever again say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where. I don't know. I don't know. You never say that again once you ask the Lord for wisdom. You can say this. Well, I've asked the Lord for wisdom and he's given it to me and I'm knowing exactly what to do. Right? And before you know it, there it is. There's all your wisdom. Hallelujah. It just comes flooding down the road and lands at your house. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give to all liberally, meaning a bunch, and without reproach. In other words, he doesn't say to you, you stupid idiot, why do you need wisdom, you know? He doesn't say that to us. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like the way of the sea driven and tossed to and fro by the wind. For that person, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So you need to be fixed on the word. You need to be fixed on what God says he's going to do. That's where your focus needs to be. 
like a horse with blinders on. You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. You just look straight ahead because that's where Jesus is, right in front of you. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to focus on him, not waver, not get shook. Amen. I mean, how many of you have been through battles in life and you come out smelling like a rose? Oh, yeah. Do we enjoy going through battles? Not particularly, no. You know, you know, they're all from Satan, you know. We don't, we don't enjoy going through stuff like that. But I just love knowing that I win. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're a winner? You know, we, end up, we know the end of the ball game. You know, it's like the Lord showed Pastor one, one year. I know who, who won the World Series and it wasn't even played yet, you know. Well, that's like us. We, we know we win. We are the winners. Amen. We're more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes we have little tests in life. You know, how can you, how can, let's, let's talk about love for a minute. How can you pass a love test if your love walk has never been challenged? Think about it. You have to use your faith muscles, your love muscle. You're believing for finance muscle. You're believing for healing muscle. Right now we're, we're talking about using faith for your love muscle. Right? And if you've never learned how to love that booger, pray the best for them. Love your enemies. Bless those who despitefully use you and all that kind of stuff. If you never learn how to love them, guess what? You fail the test. So what happens if you fail a test? You get to take it over again and over again and over and over and over and over and over again until you pass the test. You know, I've, I've alluded to this before, but when Pastor and I got married, we had this person in our life that was hated our guts, did everything possible to destroy us and our family, everything, lied about us. I mean, you name it, you know, on down the road it went. And, oh, boy, I hated that person. I really did. And, you know, you can't hate anybody. I had to learn how to love that person. And I had to learn to get to the point where I could think about that person and not have feelings of hate and rage and anger rise up. I had to get to the point where I could think of that person and think, I pity that person. I wish that person only well. Because that person doesn't know that when that person is messing with us, that person is messing with the Most High God. And, and I finally, we finally passed the test, you know. And it's because of things like that that we can pastor. Because when you get boogers in your life like that, and you become a pastor and you have a whole congregation of people that sometimes aren't too nice, you're going to learn how to love them. You're going to love them, you know what I mean? You guys are all awesome. We've had members before in other places that weren't so nice. But we loved them. You've got to pass that love test. You've got to pass the forgiveness test. You know, Mark chapter 11, if you don't forgive, Jesus said, neither will I forgive you. That's a heavy revy, man. And you say, well, God, you don't know what they did to me. And he'll say, well, you don't know what they did to me. You know, they haven't done anything as bad to you as they did to him. So you need to learn to pass the forgiveness test. 
when you're going through this season of your life. The only trouble with life is you have to deal with people, right? (laughs) Think about it. Most of your problems in life come from people, other people. But for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He loves them just like he does us. And the meaner they are, pastor says, the more they want Jesus. And they're just putting up this facade of meanness and hatred and anger. So the meaner they are, the more they want Jesus. You know, he tells a story of when he was a truck driver and he used to deliver. He drove locally, you know, downtown Indianapolis and stuff. And he used to go to this warehouse in downtown Indianapolis, to Ayers Warehouse. It was a big, you know, like a Macy's or something. And this guy was always so mean to him. And he would pull his back, his truck up. And this guy would just cuss him and rant and rave and carry on. And pastor would just, you know, just love and be nice to him. And one day, there was that guy again. And he starts in on pastor. And pastor says, what's the matter with you? Why are you so mean? And then the guy started running away from pastor. And pastor chased him all the way down, <laughs> all the way down this, this warehouse dock place. Got on this freight elevator, follows him all the way up up to the you know floor. Just pastor, just preaching to him, and the guy just starts to cry, and he says, "Well, I used to be a pastor, you know." And see, so sometimes the more people hurt, the meaner they come across. They put up a facade to, I guess, to protect themselves. But the meaner they are, the more they need Jesus. And so we can't get up on, give up on mean people. Just because they happen to be in, 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 in a positions in our life at times, be it at work or at home or family or whatever. You know what I'm saying? We need to be able to get to the point where we overcome them by love. We can overcome by forgiveness. We can overcome by kindness. We can overcome by praying for them who despitefully use us. Things like that. You know, if you think about um, the world today, hatred is rampant in the world today. It's just like, the Antichrist spirit is just like thrown up all over everybody. I've never seen such hatred in all my life. I've never seen such Antichrist against Christian things in all my life as I have before. But you know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. So if we learn how to love in the situation we are in, then we are going to, God's going to promote us. If we don't, then we're going to have to keep going through the same test over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I hate failing stuff. I want to get it right. How about you? So you get it right. You don't have to go through it again. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Okay. <clears throat> Family years. I want to talk to you about uh, those of you who are parents. I mean, we're all, you know, a lot of us are parents, but I mean parents that have children in the home. These are the most vital years of your life. You know, you have your children until they're 18 years old, give or take, and away they go, and sometimes they return. <laughs> but um, it's the most important time of your life, and it's the most important time that you don't get sidetracked in life because you have been entrusted with by Almighty God with these people, these little people in your home. What you do or don't do is going to determine how they turn out. What you do or don't do is going to determine whether they go to heaven or hell, period. 
Now, sometimes you can have a whole family full of kids like we did. You raise them all the same. And sometimes you have a couple of little rebels in there, you know. But when you're, when you're, when you're consistently constant and constantly consistent, your lifestyle's the same. I mean, are we boring, Josh? We've been the same forever, right? Since you were a little buddy. You know, I mean, we're always the same. Because, you know, that's a, that's the cool thing about being a believer. You don't have to put on a facade. You can just be the, the, the person that Jesus created you to be. You don't have to be a person that tells lies and then wonder, what was that lie that I told so I can tell this other person that lie that I told? I can't remember that lie. You just don't lie. You just, it's so easy. You know, you just don't lie. I was so grieved over the Christmas season because, you know, I know who, I, I see you. I know who you are. And I see families that I think, you know, I've been around long enough that I can look at a family and I can tell you exactly how their kids are going to turn out. I, just, I, just, I can just read you. The, I can read the end of the book to, about these kids because the parents are not being diligent about training their children in the ways of the Lord. They'll go to every ball game in town. They'll go to every school play. They'll have their kids signed up for every dance lesson, every, every, but they're not in church. I was so sad because, you know, I looked at the Christmas play and I saw the kids were here, but my heart cried because I saw the kids that weren't here. And you don't want you don't want to really look at things in a negative way because yeah we had great you know a lot of nice children here, but your heart cries for those where are those parents? And you see them on Facebook. They took their kids. Did they? Their kids were in the play at school. The Grinch or whatever stupid thing they did. But where were they when it came to the Jesus stuff? Where are they now? Where man, is that so sad or what? So every decision you make. When you've got these little people in your house, I've told, I, tell, I tell you this practically every time I get up and preach because it's just written on my heart. Because I want your children to succeed. I want your children to grow up being such pillars of righteousness in the community that they're not going to be the ones that are arrested for cheating. They're not going to be the ones that are arrested for theft, thieving, you know, thievery, whatever. They're not going to be the ones that are arrested for shooting somebody. They're going to be the pillars, no matter what they do in life. I don't care what they do in life, what their, you know, their work is. Just as long as, man, I know that, I know Chuck. I know Chuck. Yeah, he's the guy that owns that welding shop down there. You know, that guy's so honest. That man, he has integrity. He's honest. He won't cheat you. If you go there, he's going to give you a, a fair price and the job and the work that he does is excellent. He doesn't have the, the, the reputation that, well, yeah, you don't want to go to Century Well, and that guy's going to rob you blind, and he does a yucky job. No. He's a man of excellence. So that's what you want for yourself and for your children. Wow. Because when you stop to think about it, when you have children, it's not about you. It's about your little people. It's all about your little people. Man, good choices and bad choices are going to determine whether your children go to hell or heaven.
So here you are in your season of your life. And how are you going to live your life? Are you going to be stupid and distracted all the time? Or are you going to be focused? If you're distracted by stupid stuff all the time, your family's going to be distracted. Your children are going to be distracted. You know, a lot of us are grandparents. But you know what? The, the example that we set forth as grandparents is powerful as well. You know, where's Pam's over there? She, she's, she's, well, you know, she has 110 kids, but she, she's been bringing, what are there, four or five of them? Four? You know, besides all the other kids she has around here, she's been bringing four of her son's children to church. Every Sunday. A grand, well, Susan, she brings, Susan and Robert, they bring their grandchildren. You know, you bring your grandchildren. If you've got parents, you know, Elise, she brings her grandchildren. If you've got parents that aren't with it, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, let's be real. You step in there, you bring your, you bring them. You be the one that tells them about Jesus. They'll remember the faith of their grandparents. Even if their parents don't have it. And sometimes, you know, the Bible says that the little children will lead them. So sometimes you have a grandparent that leads a child, brings a child to church, picks them up every week. You know, they end up, they ended up in the church play. Their parents were here. But the cool thing about that is they'll fall in after a while. It's like a slippery creek bank, you know. You have them come around, they're bait. You have them come around, and you know, these parents come around enough, or grandparents or whatever, they'll fall right in. They'll get born again. They'll start serving God. Praise God. And then they can be victorious, and they can come into this place, and then they can learn how to live a good Christian life. The thing of it is you have to be constantly consistent and consistently conscious. conscious. You have to be determined. You have to be focused. There's no time to backslide and say, well, I think I'll go over here and play this game for a while. No. You, you can't afford that. Life is too precious. Life is too precious. What you've been entrusted with is too valuable for you to blow it. And I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir. Here you all are. Your kids are in children's church or the nursery or whatever. I know that. But man, pray for those people. Pray for those parents. You know who, the, you know, you see them. They'll show up maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. And the kids get so they don't even want to go to children's church. They'll sit with the parents. They're not developing Christian friends. They're not learning about the awesome curriculum that we have in our children's ministry. Word-based. Powerful kids around here, I'm telling you. Right, Leah, head of children's church? Yeah. Hallelujah. What season in life are you in? What are you doing with the season that you're in? You know, you can think about people in the Bible. Think about uh, Joseph. Are you familiar with the story of Joseph? Uh, familiar with the story of David, the shepherd boy who became king? A whole lot of stuff happened to those guys. It wasn't even their fault. I love the story of Joseph. Good Lord. He just being a kid minding his own business, you know. His brothers were jealous of him because his dad liked him the best. So they sell him into slavery, he ends up in Egypt. Then somehow or other he ends up in the higher-ups' houses. He's doing his good stuff. He always gets promoted wherever he goes, you know. 
So then he's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar has this seductive wife that likes to go around doing nasty stuff. So she tries to seduce Joseph, and he's not falling for it. So that happens a few times. And then she blames him for raping her while he ends up in prison. Was that his fault? No. You know, it's a season of life he was in. It was was terrible. Seasons are temporary and subject to change, though. So even in his life, that season in prison was temporary and subject to change. So he got promoted. So he's here he is, head of all the, you know, head of everything, you know, da-da-da, waltzing around being the head guy. Then there was one guy, the baker or somebody, got let go, and he says, well, tell Potiphar, you know, da-da-da-da, come let me out. Well, the guy forgot all about him. So there he was in prison for some more time. Anyway, bottom story is he gets uh, set free from prison for stuff he never did. Isn't that, isn't that terrible? <laughs> you know, it's bad enough when you do stuff you did do, but when you did get blamed for stuff you didn't do, that's really bad. Season of his life. Ends up, you know, head over Egypt and blah, blah, blah. Ends up saying his father's life, his brother's lives, who sold him into slavery. You know, cool story. But think about this. How could he have ever saved his father and his brother's lives in the time of famine if he hadn't ended up over here somewhere? You know, that's something to think about. Same with David the shepherd boy. You know, King Saul blew it. God made King uh, Saul king of, e- of Israel. And he didn't obey the Lord. The Lord said, you're done. You know, when the Lord tells you to do something, he expects you to do it to the T. He didn't do it. And then he lied that he, oh, I did it. No, you didn't do it. So he got the pl- plug pulled. So eventually David's going to be king. So David's in there playing his heart for him, you know, minding his own business. Saul's overcome by this spirit of rage, and he starts throwing spears and javelins at him, trying to kill him. You know what I'm saying? Just so happens Saul has a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and David are best buds. They're best friends. So Jonathan finds out, well, his dad has this plan to take you out, David. So he tells him of the plan, and David escapes. And he goes to the cave of Dulam up in the mountain all by himself. But all of a sudden, all these people who are, uh, you read about all this stuff in Samuel, First, Second Samuel. All of a sudden, he's, all these men who are in debt, distressed, discontented, what a group of folks, gather unto him. And the Bible says he becomes a captain unto them. He becomes their leader. There ends up being 400 of them. And you know the rest of the story. The saddest part what the, one of the things that I love is the is the is the friendship story between David and Jonathan. It's a beautiful story about friends, just beautiful, and how Jonathan saves his life. But in battle, Jonathan and Saul, his father, end up getting killed in the same battle. And David just mourns and cries for Jonathan. He hadn't seen him for a long time, but you know that you know how it is with somebody that's that close. And so then. Here he is, uh, David's king, you know. <laughs> David was a stinker, too. I'm thinking about Bathsheba. You know, here's this gal. I'm writing a story. I'm writing a book. I've been writing it for 20 years. It's called Women They Can Make You or Break You. So I'm talking about, so I'm writing about David and Bathsheba. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why is she taking a bath on the roof of her house? which happens the palace overlooks her house. 
So is she so innocent or has she seduced him? I mean, who knows, you know. But I'll tell you this. In the lineage of David in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, it doesn't mention her name. It says, uh, how's it worded? It says, uh, it, call, uh, uh, it says, and Uriah's wife. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. That was her husband. And David had him killed. But then in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 22, 13 or 13, 22, the Lord says, David was a man after my own heart. And you think, all the stuff David did? You kidding me? You know, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. Look at all the junk he did. But but the heart part was that David repented. He truly repented. And he turned his life around. And he was truly sorry. And so that's the part, the repentance part, where David was a man after God's own heart. So anyway, so after a while... David remembers that Jonathan had a, a son that was crippled. His name was Mephibosheth or something like that. It's hard to say his name. He was dropped when he was a baby and he was crippled his whole life. And David remembered his covenant with Jonathan. And he went out and he found Mephibosheth. <laughs> he was living down in the valley of Lodabar somewhere, which means out in the pit yonder. And he brings him and he, and he brings him into the house of the palace and he stays there and he takes care of him the rest of his life because of his covenant with Jonathan. Isn't that wonderful? So sometimes things in our life aren't our fault. Sometimes things in our life are our own stupid fault. Duh. Fess up. Get over it. Let's go on. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, like Daniel in the lion's den, God was with him in the pit. You know what I'm saying? The fiery furnace, God was with him in the fiery furnace. God was with Joseph in prison. God was with David in the cave of Dulam. You know, whatever junk may come your way, you know, you don't want it to. But man, don't you walk through it alone. You know, who, you know who the King of Kings and who the Lord of Lords is. You walk through whatever with Jesus. Amen. As your side, you'll come out smelling like a rose. I just promise you, you will. So anyway, examine the seasons of your life. It's January 2020. You know, if your life is a mess, get it right. Get it straight. Set yourself some goals. Purpose the next 20 years, whatever. If you're raising kids, you know, you're going to do this right. You're going to make choices. You're going to make the right choices. You know what I'm saying? Do it right. You only live once. Your kids, once they're 18, give or take, they're basically gone, right? I think you were gone when you were 17, right? A couple of them were gone when they were 17, but they were smart and they went out on their own and they had their own jobs and all that kind of cool stuff in their own apartments full of bass guitars and things. All right, let's stand up. So I hope you got something out of that. Challenge you right. Challenge you to live right. Do right. Be right. Not for your own sake, for your kids' sake. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.